0: Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 66 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. In this episode, it's it's a sort of a special episode because I'm I'm talking with Pamela Patton, who leads the pastoral ministries program at All Souls, New York City, a Unitarian Universalist congregation on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I was introduced to Pamela through one of the uh, wonderful gentlemen who. Uh, send me suggestions for podcast hosts. I mean, podcast guests, um, from people he, uh, um, helps in, in promotional activities, but he does go to all souls, New York city. And, uh, he talked about what a wonderful person Pamela Patton was. And, uh, we've had a couple of conversations prior to the one We are having today on the podcast episode, and she is a wonderful person. But I thought, the reason I thought it would be special is number one, I thought I would be wonderful to introduce people to All Souls New York City, uh, whether you are in New York City or not. Um, They currently are functioning virtually and Um, I imagine there will still be a lot of access to virtual programs when and if they do go live uh, and start um, having many of their programs and services um, within their facilities in Manhattan. But also, I thought it would be interesting to think about what it is like to be a pastoral minister or as I refer to them as spiritual friends. And in our conversation today, I think you'll see sort of the wide range of responsibilities um, that are involved with being a pastoral minister or spiritual friend, um, and how difficult it is to maintain your own practice when you're helping others. I know I've experienced this myself, but it's also a wonderful practice to try to think about how it is, how we can help others better, you know, and, and, and that helps us become better. So anyway, more to, uh, about Pamela. Pamela leads the friendship and support circles at All Souls and leads the volunteers to provide lay pastoral care. Pamela is both a Unitarian Universalist and a Buddhist. She founded the Buddhism and Mindfulness Program at All Souls. She leads guided meditations and book discussions related to Buddhism, and she invites teachers to, for, to All Souls to speak on topics of all sorts of topics. It's, it's, she has a wide range of connections, I've found out. Pamela has a Master's of Divinity from Union Theological Seminary and has clinical chaplaincy experience at various New York City hospitals, including the Jewish Theological Seminary and the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. You'll find more about Pamela and the program she leads at All Souls in my show notes, where I have provided helpful links. I hope you'll continue to listen to my conversation with Pamela. Um, It's a wide-ranging conversation about the role of a pastoral minister, meditation, different forms of Buddhism, Buddhist practice, and so, so much more. The conversation starts now. Hello, Pamela. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast episode today. I've been so looking forward to this since we've... um, kind of talked about this, I think for, I don't know, two, three months, but um, I'm looking forward to, to having you as a guest and having a wonderful conversation.
1: I know it will be a wonderful conversation, Wendy. Thank you for having me.
0: So I shared your bio in, in the intro to the conversation, but can you share a little more about your, and feel free you know, this is a podcast. You can go as long as you want. I, that's okay. If you feel like you're rambling perfectly. Okay. But so, um, share a little more about your personal and professional background and how it intersects with Buddhism, because people know from my intro that, that, that you're the director of pastoral ministries at all souls in New York city. Um, but, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a Buddhist. So it's, I think, be interesting to my guest, how that all came about in both ways, how you got to be a pastoral, uh, director of pastoral, whatever ministries, um, and your, your Buddhist background and how you got there. So all yours. Go for it.
1: Sure. Yeah, the Buddhist part's the surprise part, right? Because I'm all souls is a Unitarian Universalist congregation. Well,
0: actually, I'll inter- I, I other than, um, uh, but other than Jewish people who, who are Buddhist, um, I think the other one that is more common is Yuyu. Uh, yeah,
1: that's <laughs> so. true. That's true. In fact, there are over a 100- hundred. Unitarian universalist congregations in the US as far as i know that have a buddhist practice group literally as part of the unitarian universalist congregation so you're you're absolutely right there are a lot of people practicing in in both and they they mesh so well
0: yeah the yeah they do so your personal experience on both those things. Yeah.
1: So I, it's a second career for me. I was in the world of software development for most of my career. That's the surprise. There's the surprise. (laughs) Yes. It's a surprise to me, even now that I've found a career that I love so much, although I really loved doing that too. I developed educational software and enjoyed it very much, but a couple of things happened in my life um, that made me really think about the fact that it may not go on and on and on, that there may not be, you know, hundreds of different career zigzags for me. And in fact, that um, whatever I chose to really invest in at that point, which was in my late 40s, um, whatever I chose to really dig into career-wise was going to be what I might do for the rest of my life, however long that might last. And I say that with um, sensitivity because my best friend died. And I think that had a lot to do with Um, precipitating my interest in a more spiritual life and really recognizing impermanence and death, which of course is a major theme for those of us who practice. So I started exploring whether I wanted to continue in the same career or look at other things. And I looked at a variety of possibilities. And I kept coming back to the idea of going to seminary, but you know no one in my family went to seminary it was sort of a weird i felt like it was a whim you know i i couldn't take myself too seriously but then you know I, as i began to explore it and and realize maybe it, it was compelling for me i eventually went to union theological seminary which is a christian seminary but very open to studying other faiths and excellent professors in many faiths hinduism and um islam and and now in buddhism although that was subsequent to my starting at Union. And as I began to undertake really, you know, making spirituality central in my life, having been raised Catholic, but having felt at a certain point fairly young that that wasn't um, what I wanted to continue doing at that point, though I'll say that going to seminary rekindled a lot of my interest in Catholicism and appreciation for the spiritual formation that came with um, Sunday school and going to church with my family. So I uh, began at Union with the idea in mind that I wanted to be a hospice chaplain. And uh, also at the time, prior to going to Union Theological Seminary, I was uh, already a member of All Souls, where I work now, Mm -hmm. and had been since 1995 when I moved to New York City. So I had been a Unitarian Universalist in the meantime and thought, well, that's what I would continue to be as I embarked on my career in seminary. And there was a conference one weekend, early on, I think the first semester I was there, on uh, Buddhist-Christian dialogue. And we had these amazing teachers come, who at the time I didn't know were so extraordinary, although it's <laughs> union, so I'm not surprised. Um, but people like Rita Gross, who has since um, left our world. Uh, but she um, she was there, and all kinds of Christian theologians and Buddhist, the- B- wow. Buddhist um, teachers and it was organized by this wonderful professor who has since retired from union but it it for me sparked all of these interests that had been latent i guess you know dormant in some way i just i had always been curious about the rubin museum and loved going there and always had these little sort of um you know uh glimmer uh, of interest that I hadn't pursued deeply in buddhism and and buddhist art and the dharma so, so this really turned it on for me it made it seem possible and and I think I just saw how much the dharma was touching me and I remember doing John McCransky was there lama John McCransky Oh
0: lama John yeah
1: yeah at the at the um conference and I did a meditation with him which was you know I can't even describe it it, it made me understand meditation I had meditated before but it was the first time I saw what could happen with the mind in in a meditation and I think it just unlocked a lot of curiosity and so I started really I continued in seminary but started to study Buddhism at an FPMT Dharma Center which stands for Foundation for the Preservation of the Mahayana tradition
0: that's a Lama Zopa uh, and, and Lama Yeshe, right? Yep, Yes. yep, yes.
1: exactly. And um, one of their centers, which is in Brooklyn, Shanti Shantideva Center. And I started studying there because the FPMT program, thanks to Lama Zopa Rinpoche and, and Lama Yeshe, has incredible curricula for learning about the tradition. It's in the Gelug tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, as you know. And so... I took this course discovering Buddhism, which takes about two years and thought that would I couldn't really study Buddhism at Union there was some there were some courses which I took but it was limited now it's expansive I mean now they have a huge Buddhism program it's fantastic with this uh, person leading it um Greg Snyder who is one of the best teachers I've ever encountered and I hope to keep taking auditing classes with him forever he's amazing (laughs) but he also brings in a lot of incredible teachers so um so, but that happened toward the end of my time at Union. In the meantime, I needed to find a place to study. And I, somebody suggested Shantideva Center where I did this discovering Buddhism program with a wonderful teacher who is not a formal teacher. He's a, considered a facilitator because he's not ordained, um, but he's a therapist and a spectacular human being. And so between him and the and the actual material in the course, the more I studied, the more I, I realized this was speaking to me and this is the kind of practice I wanted to pursue. So, meanwhile, you know, I, I continued to do chaplaincy or, or do the clinical work required for board certification and chaplaincy. But I was doing some field work at All Souls, my home congregation, and uh, was particularly interested as an aspiring chaplain in the pastoral work. And as I started to get more involved in that and offer support groups and things, I got some traction, you know, some relationships with people in the congregation and certainly with the clergy team and developed um, some uh, some opportunities there that just ended up in the beginning when I was doing field ed were, you know, a few hours a week, and now I'm full time there, but this all changed very gradually over time and um isn't it all what I expected. But as we know, <laughs> we cannot focus on outcomes because they change.
0: That's <laughs> yes, right. That's right. And and so did they not have a um, director of pastoral ministries and, and and the sort of you kind of made that happen, if you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Well,
1: yeah, I made it happen in the sense that I filled in a, a space that was well received and appreciated by the community the staff as well as the congregation the the congregants but really i have to give credit to our senior minister galen gingrich who um you know enabled me to create that or co-created it with me by noticing that i was filling a need that was there and appreciating um and appreciating that work and supporting it
0: awesome how how long have you been in that role either part-time and or full-time combined? Altogether, 10 years. So I
1: started in in the field ed position as a seminarian um, and just a few hours a week. And then over time, came and went a little bit. Then we had a ministerial search for a new associate minister who we now have, Reverend Audette Fulbright. And um, during the couple of years we were searching for her, I sort of had a temporary, an interim role. Uh, We all thought that when she came, I would leave because she would take that over. But by then I'd um, established enough, I think, of a relationship with the community that they felt it was a good idea to keep me on in addition to having her come on. And then that just grew and grew from, you know, 10 hours a week to... I don't know how many hours it is now. <laughs> yes. But it's well, full time.
0: Please, please don't start adding it in your head because we exactly. had this discussion prior to our recording about um uh creating our own business busyness and how overwhelming that can be, but how impossible it is to stop. Yes, <laughs> right, yes. exactly. How many members uh or of the all Souls congregation um uh how, it's it looks huge to me. Is it big? I mean, it's very big. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, you know, I unfortunately don't know off the top of my head how many members, but I believe it's over a thousand. Wow, um, I'm, there are different big. ways of calculating membership, and um, it's I think it's something like twelve hundred. But I, you know, I I am reluctant to give you an to say that that's exactly right, because it may be fewer or more depending on whether you're talking to the Unitarian Universalist Association or, you know, so there are ways of counting members that I I always get mixed up about, but it's quite, it's quite a large Unitarian Universalist congregation, one of the largest.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, I'm familiar with uh, a couple of the uh, Unitarian Universalist uh, congregations in our area. I'm in Rochester. My listeners know that. I don't know if you remember that or not. I Um, do. Yeah. So, um, so there's a, there's a larger, a larger church and then there's a smaller church in, in the Finger Lakes. Um, so I'm familiar with that and had some experience with them. Um, and, and they were alternatively very big and very small, depending on ministers coming and going, Yes, you know, I think that's typical of a lot of churches, I think, you know, so, but what I noticed um, about your participation is uh, you put me on your email list for all of my listeners. And um, you, you, uh, you, you told me before you did that I f- feel free to, to unsubscribe at any time. Because, and I haven't because it's fascinating. And I, I was so struck by the number of programs that. Um, and I was like, so you, you know, you're a pastoral, you know, a spiritual friend, somebody who's there to help, but yet you're this administrator of all these programs. So your busyness is unbelievable. In my mind, I'm looking at all the programs you're administering. I know you have people co-lead and co-facilitate, but you're planning it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah it's it's um it's quite a lot to keep track of i mean i send the emails like we were talking earlier i don't have anyone any administrative help so i send the emails i you know uh move the videos the recordings from Zoom to Vimeo you know all
0: these like do, little yeah, bits you, and
1: pieces it, i don't edit them because i don't know how i wish i did know how but and I, of course i could learn but i'm not sure i can handle it do volunteer yeah exactly some <laughs> and we and sometimes i get help with that which is great <clears throat> um so yes it's it's a lot and i think one of the difficulties as a Dharma practitioner, and something I talk to teachers about a lot, and I'm always curious, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, is that, you know, that balance between offering the Dharma, not in a proselytizing way, of course, but offering the Dharma to those who are interested in hearing about it, and, and you know, keeping my own practice intact and and making time for that and finding that balance because someone like Venerable Tupten Chodron, you know, who's a uh, who is a wonderful teacher,
0: right. a
1: nun in American nun, um, says you know, practice like your hairs on fire. <laughs> so yes. if so, yes, I want to practice like my hair's on fire, which means sharing the Dharma and being generous with it and you know following up on my ideas for how to connect with people and help them find these teachings if they're interested in them and, and use them to develop their own practices while maintaining my practice, which Greg Snyder, the professor at Union, who I mentioned, when I first started teaching just a little bit, I was very nervous because I feel like all the teachers I know have practiced for decades. And I'm, as I said, relatively new to Buddhism. And he said, you know go for it as long as you're practicing make sure you keep up your practice because that's the key to being an authentic teacher and um and just always making sure that you don't um misrepresent your knowledge or you know contribute in any way to people misunderstanding so i'm very careful about that or i try to be but it's a major motivation for me to keep up my practice so that I can offer authentically the teachings that I do understand, which are, you know, as you know, a tiny bit of the great array of the Buddhist
0: teachings. Well, you know, I, there's very few people who can, and if they do claim, I would think they were bullshitting me, to yeah. be honest with me, yeah. knowing more. I like, I tell a lot of people when people say what attracted you to Buddhism. And I always say, well, I really came to Buddhism um, because of the mental bling. But I soon learned that that was a, 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 a real uh, problem in being a true practitioner. <laughs> yeah you know and and when so when new people come to buddhism and most of the people that i work with are new to buddhism um you know they're they're overwhelmed with all the lists and everything and and like in in the book i wrote uh everyday buddhism i have a section called the list of lists because you know (laughs) there because you know you it's i wanted it as an appendix uh so that people wouldn't have to look through the book to find the list and the what it meant and the reference to the list so it's that mental bling that attracted me especially if you're sort of a a, a, a student type you know I was always yeah. a student type and I I suspect you were too and and then that was it but you know you hit on a very deep question that you and I could probably talk to each other about for the rest of the day um sit down with tea yeah. but um uh I was going to ask you, it was my next question on my cheat sheet, uh, to ask you, I said, you're married with three children, right. And, yes. and, and, then and, and a couple of dogs and, and then I, and then you have all this administrative work. And so how do you have time with all this for your own personal spiritual practice? That was my question because I have the same problem yeah. and yeah. And, and to hit on two things, you said practices, if your hair was on fire, that's a pretty typical reference in Tibetan Buddhism. It's like, yeah. I just went through, um, uh, four months, uh, study with my sangha on the 37 practices of bodhisattvas i don't know if you know that little book by togme zampo um uh, the 37 practices of i certainly know
1: of the 37 practices, 37 practices but i don't know that book no yeah
0: yeah that's that's him togme zampo wrote this and this little book was given to us by do you know his eminence garchan Rinpoché? have you heard of him i don't um, think so yeah yeah he's in the uh drikun Kagyu lineage of the uh which which is the Tibetan Buddhist center that I practice with in Rochester. And, um, he was our main teacher. He was a visiting teacher, but our main teacher, he's a, he's, a. um, some people say he's an enlightened being. It feels like yeah. that when you're around him. And yeah. he, um, has a prayer reel in one hand and this little book in the other, and um and constantly and so i did a, a a practice with the 37 uh practices of bodhi i mean i did a study with that with my sangha and we used two books one of which was um um tubs and children's book um, uh, yeah. uh don't believe anything you think i think is was the name of it and she talks about that and but one of the uh pr- practices in the 37 practices, and this is reference to what you said, is um, you may look like a spiritual practitioner, uh, uh, but you're really a materialist in spiritual clothes. And that was a reference to that you have to keep maintaining your own practice, which is... that's all that always eats at me because if I'm so busy that I skip too many days of meditation or, or find myself losing patience with everyone around me mm, or, yeah. um, or getting angry at something out there in the world, um, uh, uh you know, the illusory world, um, I know that my practice is really bad. And, and, and I know I need time for it. So I don't think I have an answer to your question. So I'm going to throw it back to you. How do you find time?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I do. Well, first of all, um, I'm a lot of time every morning. And, and I, what I do is instead of think, instead of having, well, I do these series of practices, I say this prayer and I, you know, spend this much time in calm abiding meditation etc i allot a a specific amount of time and it varies on the day but it's it's not a lot you know it's maybe a half an hour to at the most an hour right and um so that way I, I'm, I'm not rushing through the practice when a half an hour is up or f- however much time I've allotted. That really has helped me. I'm sure that crutch will be unnecessary at some point, but um, for now, that's how I say to myself, this is, this is the time I've allotted, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, if I don't get to, the meta meditation today, because I'm hung up on repeating the foundations of all good qualities or whatever it is, that's okay, because I feel I've done my practice. So that's sort of psychologically how I approach it at this chap in this small chapter of my evolving practice um but also you know something wendy that really helps me is one day i was i'm the co-parent rep for my daughter's ninth grade class and the person with whom i'm the, the other rep uh Oh, it, he'll say to me, you know, I feel like I have to behave really well around you because you know, you're, you're a pastor and all that and you're a Buddhist and all that. And so, and he's, he's a very religious Jewish person. So, you know, it's not as though he's, he's um, not aware of ethical behavior and not somebody who's also very serious about that. But one day we were waiting to, we were trying to create an, um, an event for the parents outside in Central Park because we can't get together anywhere you know, during COVID, this was in the fall. And so we thought, well, we'll get some balloons, you know, to mark where we are in Central Park so everybody can come and join us. And we were waiting for the balloons and the balloon delivery person um, was bringing them to him. He had ordered them and and she was being, really um, having a challenging time finding our location, which was not that challenging to find because it was the intersection of two Manhattan streets, you know, which are a (laughs) grid. Um, So it wasn't, anyway, he was being, he was starting to feel impatient, and he said, "Well, around you, I feel like I have to be really patient, so I'm going to behave myself really well and not get frustrated <laughs> with her." And and I thought, and I said to him, "You know, first of all, please don't put me on a pedestal. You should see me at times." But what it in, what it, I internalized as a result and realized is, I can really benefit from imagining that the people for whom I care as a pastor and as uh, Buddhist as a Dharma facilitator. Um, if I imagine them watching me and expecting the best of me, uh. not in a in a critical way, not looking at me and saying, oh, I knew she was a fake or, you know, <laughs> just looking at me and saying, how would you behave, Pamela, in this situation? Because I'm in it, too, and I want you to sh- to help me. And of course, I look to them as well. I have people in my community who are just extraordinarily compassionate and generous people in in ways that I am not. So um, I look to them for inspiration and teachings and they look to me, but I sometimes think, you know, what would, what would they be thinking if they saw me right now? And that helps me. And so the point is that I think my practice and my work inform one another and fuel one another um, in that sense that I, I want to be the best I can be for the sake of the people I'm caring for. And that makes a, a big impact.
0: Yeah that's a great story and 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 it's so true I had a uh um I studied a lot in the Gale gl- tradition as well and then practiced uh and taught in the um tradition so i've kind of a i'm a mix of everything actually but you are (laughs) i love it i'm 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 like a hybrid something or other um and 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 one and my favorite readings are christian mystics so you know go figure i don't know what i am um and does it matter anyway um so anyway uh one of the the loop teachers that i had would say, don't bother to shut the door because the Buddhas can see you no matter what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) So and I was like that. And that always stuck with me. And the other thing he used to say was there are Buddhas everywhere. Watch out. (laughs) It's true, right? It could be the squirrel in the park. That's the thing. So it, it doesn't even matter if it's the people you're ministering to or teaching. It's like. They're everywhere. So, you know, just try it's to remember true. that and behave yourself,
1: sort of. I remember my best friend saying, the one who died, who I talked about earlier. I remember we were together one July and she had toddlers at that point. And I remember her saying to her son, Watch out, Santa is can
0: see everything you do. <laughs> It's horrible. It is. You know, it's July. <laughs> it is horrible, and and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's like well, I remember my Protestant upbringing. It I had that sort of thought when, you know, about, you know, Jesus seeing everything I did and, you know, Santa seeing everything I did. But then when the, my teacher, Buddhist teacher said, you know, the Buddhas are everywhere. Watch out. It's like, oh, you do.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it helps us. It really yeah, it, helps us. It, so, it, you know, it's, it, I, I teased Liza about that, but, but I, I think it, It struck me as beneficial at the time, even though, you know, it was a little cheap to do it with our little kids.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you talk about your practice and, you know, and feel free to detail it because some of my listeners um, may not know what you're talking about, but it might interest them enough that they would look it up because I try to cover in my podcast all forms of Buddhism. Because when people come to me and say, "What would Buddhism say about this?" I actually had a podcast episode about this way back at the beginning of launching the podcast, and I did a sort of satire on that. You know, what would what would Buddhism say, or what would the Buddha do, or one of those things, and it's like my answer is always, well, there is no one Buddhism. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it really depends on who you're asking number one and who's teaching and what references, uh, they have. And, uh, one of my recent podcast guests, um, Vanessa Sasson, who wrote the book, Yoshidara and the Buddha about the Buddha's wife. Um, she, she said that, uh, Uh, because she she's a religious scholar and, and studied primarily in the Buddhist tradition she studies Buddhism you know all the historical references she translates Pali and Sanskrit and you know she's but she felt the need to write a fiction about the Buddha's wife since there wasn't there were no, the, a lot of the blanks weren't filled in. We only yeah. knew. And, and she knows a lot more of the things that aren't blank that we think are blank from her studies. But she said, uh, she was always worried about someone asking her, how dare you write a book about the Buddha's wife? How, you know, as, as if you know who who is she to write as so though it's about
1: grandiose this? or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And she and then she said. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about it. I thought, you know, the Buddhist canon is an ongoing, an ongoing, and open teaching. There yeah. is no one Bible. It's also it's unlimited in time and scope. You know, if it, 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 the Buddha and his wife. Uh, were supposedly together for hundreds of lifetimes and the the time when the buddha became enlightened was their last lifetime together supposedly um by the tales of uh of the of the buddha and his past lives so he she said well, isn't that what Buddhism all is all about? It's a it's an ongoing narrative. It it's not open and shut. Why not write a, a story oh. about it? So, I don't know what got me there. It was something you said, but anyway, um, oh, you were
1: asking what, about the practices. I think.
0: yeah, what I what I'd like you to tell me is because, boy, did you see where I went on that? Gee, I. <laughs> um i i have a tendency of like going down the river stream of consciousness i'm i'm with you i'm okay. with you yeah you were talking
1: about all the ways of answering you know of practicing buddhism what, yeah you know. yeah
0: so you know grab me and anchor me once in a while if i get lost but um <clears throat> anyway, uh, I wanted you to say what your practices were, because a lot of people, first of all, don't know much about Tibetan practices, and I don't know whether you're a Vajrayana practitioner, as in visualization and empowerments and stuff, or whether you're pri- uh, primarily a Sutrayana practitioner, the the non-Vajrayana type, or whether you're both. And um, so if you could talk a little bit about that, I think that would be very interesting to the listeners.
1: Sure. And I just wanted to say one thing about all these forms of Buddhism that you were mentioning. And I forget the woman, the professor's name who wrote the book about um, the Buddhist Vanessa wife.
0: Vanessa Sasang, Yeah.
1: Vanessa Sasson. Um But just also to, I, I often remind myself and try to remind people who are um, attending my programs of all the buddha's teachings and how he taught according to his audience and so teachings can seem contradictory Um, he really sensed because he was so wise who was with him and what they needed to hear so i think even that further compounds the complexity of of the way we can approach the dharma and um, it also uh, calms me down a little bit when I try to get sort of um uh, attached to, to learning at all, you know, which of course, we know is impossible. but it's sort of like going into the library and thinking, I just want to read everything. It's very much of a of an attachment thing. But my practice is, of course, evolving. Um, but a couple of a few of the things that I always do every day in my practice are the five reminders. And I use Thich Han's Hanh's translation. Um, Perfect. Do, yeah. You know, do you want yes. me to say them or would yeah, say, say, to...
0: say them? I, I love Thich Han's version of the five reminders. But yes. OK, so he he uh, his translation is
1: I am of the nature to grow old. There is no escaping old age. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no escaping ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no escaping death. All that I cherish and everyone that I love is of the nature to change. There is no escaping being separated from them. My actions are my only belongings. There is no escaping the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand and i always add in a little i saw in a different translation something that i just wedge in there when the last part the fifth the fifth um reminder um my actions are my only belongings there is no escaping the consequences of my actions and i made this up but i say there is no end to the good that my actions can do there's it's bottomless how much good i can do and then my actions are the ground upon which i stand because um it skews a little negative about you know there's no escaping the consequences but then also i like to remind myself like the bounty of my actions is enormous so or potentially enormous so that's a little slight change and that came from actually somebody who gave me feedback when i was teaching about the five reminders one of the people who attends my program said to me i don't do the fifth because i feel like it's punitive and I realized it. it could sound that way. It didn't to me at the time. So that's why I added that in my own practice. So I do that and I um, do the prayer, the foundation of all good qualities, which is, um, as I'm sure you know, the Lam Rim um, in a condensed version. So um, we're- Uh, And I'm going to
0: interject the Lam Rim is a galop uh, tradition, just so people know. And galop is just, you know, Tibetan Buddhism, that's another thing. There isn't one Tibetan Buddhism. So, just so people know, to make things even more complicated, <laughs> so, so it's go true.
1: Ahead. <laughs> so it's one of the four. Although then there's the bun tradition. So there's a lot. You know, it's never clear, right? Um, no. And it will always keep changing, which of course we already know is one of the marks of existence. But. Um, But anyway, it's, yeah, in the Gaelic tradition, the Galutpa tradition, we do the Lamrim, which is a a summary of the teachings, I mean, essentially. And so the foundations of all, the foundation of all good qualities is a summary of the summary. It's a prayer that's maybe um, 16 stanzas long that um, addresses all the things we need to do on the path to Care for our minds and care for all beings. So, I haven't quite memorized it, but I'm getting there.
0: I've been wow. working on
1: memorizing it for a little while. And then um, I always read, so, there's a, a book of Lamrim teachings, a year's worth of Lamrim teachings that Lama Zopa Rinpoche and Lama Yeshe have given, and each one is a page. So, I read a page of that a day and reflect on it. And then I do some other things. Um, Let's see, I do prostrations and I do, uh, I take refuge and I do, um, the, uh, what else do I always do? I have to walk myself through it. Various other prayers, like the, um, the eight verses of mind, um, transformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, am getting some of the titles wrong because I, I only say them now. I don't look at the titles anymore, but I know them by heart.
0: Seven point mind training, like Lojong or? Uh, it's, it's,
1: um, now it's of course i can't conjure it up because i'm i'm not thinking i'm not doing my practice but
0: because well, everybody refers to things in different ways so yeah, i that's know
1: that's the problem too right you let's eight worldly wins the eight worldly concerns <laughs> the eight worldly dharmas this, I'm sorry, you know? the samsara. The um, sorry
0: the list the lists
1: yes. of lists i'm glad to know you have that reference for me to look at
0: no um, no it's very basic so you probably got that down so i don't
1: know <laughs> i don't know um especially given all the different translations but it's the um it's the eight verses of of um thought transformation it's the ways in which we work with our minds so it's um things like uh if if how our enemies quote you know using the word enemies as it's translated um is how they are our most important teachers yeah um, yeah this kind of thing and you know if when we when we sense that we are about to Uh, speak or act in a way that's not wholesome that we catch ourselves and we watch our own minds and we use it as an opportunity to get to know our minds better so it's it's the eight verses of thought transformation that's the title of it yeah yeah (laughs) that's one of the titles
0: well yeah it sounds like the seven point mind training but i don't know it as the eight verses of thought transformation so that's fascinating
1: yeah, it's very helpful to me and reminds me all the time that the people who I'm having trouble with are my teachers and yes. that Put my them own mind above is
0: you. Yes,
1: yes, right, I am the lowest. I mean that's yes. I'm always reluctant to share that because people can react very I yes, uh, have a great difficulty can. hearing it with good reason. I mean these were protected teachings for many many years that you know only advanced practitioners were allowed to learn or hear. And so Um, now that they're widely known, not everybody's ready to hear them. And I had my own difficulties in the beginning. I think I feel pretty comfortable with them now. Um, But, you know, saying things like, I'm the lowest in the room um, and I, everybody is my teacher for people who have been through a lot of trauma as children and things. It's really tough to hear.
0: Well, you know, and that does sound like Lojong, by the way, the seven point mind training. So I am getting, you know, maybe it's just the way Lama Zopa and Lama Yeshe refer to it. Um, <clears throat> so um, one thing I want to interject on that is uh, the Lamas that I took teachings with always said it's that a lot of this is, it's not just that you know, because these really aren't hidden teachings. So well, Lojong kind of is because those were all Sutrayana that you didn't need empowerment to get those teachings and you don't now, but the interest, it's cultural mostly. Um, uh, the lamas used to, I would have the lamas that I took teachings with would say, I was so shocked when I came to America and found all this problem with um people not feeling confident oh yeah. Um, yeah not feeling um and that they they put themselves down and they felt inadequate and um it, it's in and i remember this one mama says it's completely unheard of in tibet completely unheard. i've of. heard that
1: too yeah. yeah
0: and and he said and then he would always end by saying did you know that to feel that way Is the highest form of being conceited or is self-focus self grasping um, yep, yeah yeah so um so yeah it's it is a cultural thing i think so yes it is hard if if someone has trauma and stuff but it's like i think it's in 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 tibet like i mean their whole life is a trauma but yet they don't have a problem with it <laughs> because it's, it's that's the, a really good point wendy yeah you know it's i think uh primarily cultural um there, there there were other places I could go here and I'm not going to. So I want to get back to the rest of your practice.
1: Uh, well, so the rest of my practice is, um, I usually do a meta practice uh-huh. and, but also if things are arising for me, I'll do specific analytical meditations. And this week I've actually, I don't usually do this, but because of Thich Han's death on Saturday, I've been doing some of his practices, which usually aren't um except for the five reminders really woven i i'm pretty um much stick with my own tradition but just yesterday i instead of doing my metta practice i did this um there's a the plum village website has a memorial practices page up right now with different Uh teachings about death and poems and chants and things um you know to honor his death and his life most importantly and um One of the things they had up there is this meditation that he leads about when we're having trouble practicing imagining just saying it's okay I can't practice right now. I'm going to let the Buddha do it for me. And then imagining our Buddha essence doing the practice with the back straight and the breathing and he just walks you through this experience of the Buddha doing the practice in our own bodies. And so sometimes, you know, in this case, it was his death and my wanting to be connected with him, that led me to do this particular meditation. But I do usually do meta or sometimes I do, you know, working with difficult emotions, like a rain practice, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. And then I almost th- then I always do um, a calm abiding meditation. And it's not that long, because I'm not and I have a hard time with it. And I do, um, I am a Sutrayana practitioner um but i do sometimes you know that as you know and we we visualize in the calm abiding either you know a buddha or a green tara or use the breath as our object of focus and i um and find it most useful to use my breath but i also try to visualize a buddha because i think it'll help my practice but it's i have a really tough time with it i i um can't do yeah. it for long and i am you know have a long ways to go
0: I practiced uh, both Vajrayana and Sutrayana. And one of the problems I had with Vajrayana is visualization. I'm a very, um, uh, verbal person. Me it's, too. If, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> Me <laughs> so, too. So. I have a tough
1: time with visualization. And yeah. a friend of mine who's a Dharma practitioner, who's a musician, um, He recently sent me an article, if I can find it, I'll forward it to you, about how difficult it is for some of us to visualize and why these practices can be challenging for us as a result.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember when I first came to uh, Tibetan Buddhism and I went to this... uh, well, it, I did galoop for a long time, galoop was study. And so it it was more study. It was the Lam Rim and which I loved because I was, you know, like I said, I came to Buddha, Buddhism because of the mental bling. So the line was all about yeah. the Lam Rim. It's like wonderful. It's like, I get it. You know, the graduated path. Yeah. Keep me going. Graduate me, you know? <laughs> Um, but but then when I really you know, buckled down and, and 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 joined a center and 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 got empowerments from different uh, llamas I and 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 we were doing and at the center we were doing all these um, uh, you know empowered practices like in our center, we were at the time we were doing a Vajray, Vajrayana practice. A Vajrayana is one of the deities, uh, one of the Bodhisattvas. Um, and um, I remember coming up to the director one day and saying, if we're supposed to see, understand that the world is an illusion and try to see life as it is, why are we making up illusions (laughs) please explain (laughs) what was the answer oh well uh, the answer was that um you need to get familiar with building up illusions and seeing that they are being you can tear them down oh you can You know, and so, and it's also the answer was you trying to put yourself as a Buddha. Yeah. It's the potential that you have. It's your, you know, Buddha nature for those that know is this inherent quality that we have. I call it the opposite of original sin. Um, um, We have our inherent nature is pure, just like a Buddha's mind. Our mind is as pure as Titnat Han was big on talking about that, um, the, our, our pure mind. And um, <clears throat> so it's very hard sometimes to visualize yourself as having a pure <laughs> mind if you're, you know, getting home from rush hour cussing out everybody that came by you, you know, it's, it's like almost impossible to visualize yourself as as having a, a, a pure mind. So it's like it, it, that the key is to like, to build up that visualization of, and then become, that is you, because it shows you the potential that you have yeah. and gives you something to aim for. But then you tear it down yeah. because it's no different like than a dew, than a, a drop of dew on a blade of grass or your own life. Right. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, it was very beautiful. It didn't help me visualize though. <laughs> I never, never, it was something I never could do very well. Still don't do very well. Yeah. I, me neither. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It's, <laughs> it's tough. I mean, it's... and,
1: and <clears throat> I, my friend who I mentioned who sent me the article, Richard Einhorn, as I said, he's a musician. And so he and I, he, He and I were inquiring of our teacher, you know, can you use sounds because he's so uh, and you and I are very, you know, oriented that way. uh, Yeah. And so is he and the instructions were no. Um, So I guess I don't know. It's more to explore. I don't know enough beyond that, but I I struggle myself and appreciate how difficult it it is.
0: Well, and you can actually understand that from just, you know, in your everyday walking around life. My wife is an artist. So when I asked for directions somewhere back in the days when we would go places, right. Um, (laughs) years ago, I I sort of remember how that was, but, um, I would, I would ask for directions and she would always give me directions based on visual cues. And, and, and I was like, i don't know what the heck you're talking about I just, what's the name of the street what's yeah are we turning left or are we turning right <laughs> don't just tell me to turn at the yellow house what yellow house <laughs> It, 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 it
1: makes you realize, right, that the dark. That I mean, when you think about the Buddha's eighty four thousand teachings, exactly. imagine, imagine. <laughs> no wonder he had to be omniscient, right? You know, because yeah, yes,
0: how could you? All these <laughs> minds. Yes, oh, I, and and in all marriages, wouldn't a little omniscience be wonderful? right? Oh, yes,
1: <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so I love your practice by the way and it's very it's very good. I um I'll just add in case anybody cares my practice varies since I am so I'm such a hybrid <laughs> person. Yeah. Um it goes based on I I do like you carve out a uh, practice every morning unless like I have a podcast record really early or something and then all bets are off. And I, and then I try to do something later in the day, but it's always better in the morning. Um, yes, I agree. Yeah. You, you know, it's just always better in the morning because if you, if you say you're going to do it whenever you're going to do it, like, well, then something else comes up, life gets in the way and there you go. And yes. also I, and also it helps you for the day. I mean, it's like, if i meditate it's 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 night and day for me if i meditate in the morning my day is like a thousand times better yep than if i, I skip it for whatever reason and even it could even be 10 minutes
1: yep it does, it, yeah, it, I, it it could it, be. I, I say to people like, don't beat yourself up if you can't do it every day, but just sit for one breath if that's all it takes.
0: Maintain the thread. Right. Yeah, just you know? do it, just do it, and and you know, and and so yes, I I I don't know about what they say. I I I if I can't focus on my breath alone, I've gotten a lot better on. I used to have trouble focusing on my breath in calm abiding type or single uh you know single focus type meditation. If I can't focus on my breath um i always have focused on sounds auditory sounds um it, there's a unified mindfulness course by Shinzen yang um Shin Zhen yang you may not have heard of him but for uh, people uh, who follow me know that i always promote this and if somebody wants to learn how to meditate i always send them to the uh, core training it's absolutely free and um it, it, it's based on Shinzen young is a longtime practitioner. He's, he, he practices, he started his practice back in the back in the day of the beat generation of Gary Snyder. Uh-huh. And, you know, that, and so he's been around a while and, uh, he, he sort of came up with this thing called unified mindfulness because it unifies calm, abiding and Vipassana. Ah, uh. it's sort of a combination and what he, and what he, what they take advantage of is your your senses and they call it see, hear, feel, because many people have trouble focusing on breath. I know when I first tried to focus on my breath, I hyperventilated and it wasn't working yeah. at all. And I, I hear know, that a
1: lot from people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought. This is I can't do this. I'm. They're going to end up in the hospital.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, it's not very meditative. <laughs> no,
0: and so it was just it, it it interrupted my pattern of breathing. You know, and so um, I can now, thank goodness. It only took me three decades, but I got it. <laughs> but um, the see here feel is very helpful for people because I think especially in this culture, in the Western culture, we're very focused on our sensations. Yes. So um if listening to a bird is that is your focus like if your focus you know if you're supposedly focused on your breath or a candle flame or whatever whatever the focus is singular focus is why not have it be the bird or the vacuum or the refrigerator hum why not right or um and it, and he has it see hear feel both internally and externally so if your eyes are closed, you can see inside on your eyelids, the little dots or whatever, the little phosphors or whatever they are. And um, so that, that's very helpful for people I find. And it is to me sort of like a visualization and yet it's, it, yet it's calm abiding or singular focus. It's kind of like a visualization if you just let it evolve and be what it is, right? but it's also vipassana because you're you know it's it can call it can create like an insight meditation kind of feel because it relaxes you into accepting whatever comes
1: yeah yeah i'm going to make a note of that i th- i think i'll check into it and maybe make i can a send i can
0: send i can send you a link so that you thank can you share please it with your do yeah. i'd love to yeah it. yeah um so um Yeah, we talked about this before about what strength we need. I won't go into my own practice anymore, because people know. Um, But what keep maintaining our own strength so that we can be strength for others. Uh, And, you know, you shared that you have to do it. I have shared that I have to do it, but I'm also going to share something that I personally find very helpful. And I wanted to get your opinion and see what you thought. Um, I told you, this is going to be like a conversation with like a lot of people listening in. (laughs) So just, um, sounds fine to me. (laughs) Okay. Um, I've never been very private, so that works for me. I hope it's okay with you. But- oh, you should hear the
1: stories I tell, Wendy. They're very, <laughs> the people who come to my programs would could tell you a lot about me that isn't so favorable.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I'm meant to be a podcast host because I don't care what I say and how many people hear it, right? Because a lot of times my, my wife will say, she'll say, you said that? <laughs> don't share anything about me though, because she's very private. So it's like, (laughs) whoa. Um, but anyway, you know, people watching, we talked about people watching us to keeping us in the straight, in the straight and narrow. What I find is if I'm flagging or failing or, or things are getting me down, or I'm not feeling much like a practitioner, if I have to prepare for leading a program, Mm um, it's so beneficial yes. because I I totally get out of my my woe is me or whatever's going on or my little stories because I totally get into the thing that I have to get into to explain to somebody else. So like I have a sangha and we 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 try we do studies across all types of Buddhism all lineages, all types, all schools. And so we've studied the Heart Sutra, we've studied Shin Buddhism, we've studied um, the 37 practices, we've done a lot of different things. Um, but if I have to prepare for my my presentation where I do usually a little Dharma talk and then we go over something and then, then, then that's a practice, right? Yeah, do you find absolutely. that
1: too? Oh yes, I mean, Every Monday at 10, I lead a program and I I cover whatever topic feels pressing. I mean, sometimes people will say, please, can you talk more about love versus attachment and things like that? But most Mondays, I spend you know from the last program ending monday at eleven thirty until the next one monday at the following monday at 10 really contemplating what do i need to share with people what has come up in my pastoral conversations that would be helpful to people is there a lot of loss right now is there a lot of illness is there a lot of fear um what what's coming up or what's coming up in my own practice you know what where am right. i feeling like i need to be um buoyed and so uh, my monday programs are very much in response to that as you're describing and also i preach at all souls infrequently like maybe a couple of times a year and when i'm preparing i'm a very slow writer and so as i'm preparing to preach which i'm doing now for i'll be preaching on february 27th i for at least several months in advance i i ruminate truly ruminate not in the best sense over oh no what will I cover <laughs> you know and I've I've yeah. gone from I really have to I make a deadline for myself a month in advance of preaching I have to decide on the topic because I'll make myself crazy so I have until this Sunday to decide about <laughs> February twenty seventh. but I I I am um, really that re- I am compelled to talk about and preach about and create a service around that which is I think, most compelling to me, which is where my practice needs help, Um, whether it's exploring the idea of hope, or it's exploring self-compassion, or, you know, um, something about loss, whatever it may be, all of my, I only have a handful of sermons, maybe 10 at the most, but each of them was each of those services was designed at a time that corresponds to what I was struggling with. And of course, I'm always struggling with a lot, Uh, you know, it's suffering, it's samsara. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of, there are always a lot of choices, but I, I, I am compelled by what I'm most curious about in that time and digging into it. And it helps me so much, Wendy, I completely agree. I, you know, I feel like that's what I need to, to help my, own practice and then hopefully benefit others.
0: Yeah. It's sort of like, it's wonderful because it's like having your own minister, you know, (laughs) it's like, not always. And we talked about this before, like sometimes I, you know, I'm looking to be ministered to, but it's like, sometimes I feel as if I, that, that happens to me. And many times like in my sangha, I will say, okay, we're, we're about at the end of our study on this. I'd like ideas of where would you like to go next? And I'm always surprised that they usually come up with something I need the most. Uh, And I don't suggest it at all. It's like, you know, they came up with the 37 practices. I I think I had mentioned it a couple of years ago, but they came up with it this time. And it was so helpful because I was getting in an angry place, you know, an angry Uh. and judgmental place about the world, you know. And I was you know, just, I was focused too much on, on the negativity and I was bringing it home and into me and, and that's never good. And when I did the 30, I thought, Whoa, I didn't realize how much I needed that, even though that was a practice of mine for years and years and years, but to really have to do it that intensively really made a huge difference for me. And feel
1: like you have it enough internalized to be able to care for others through that vehicle you know you, I mean you really have to work at it so yeah
0: yeah yeah you, you just can't read it right yes. yeah <laughs> right. yeah
1: right. we've had that with um so I lead a book discussion on Thursdays at 10 we started with Pema Children's When Things Fall Apart um at the very beginning of the pandemic but then as we finish that I had the same sort of debate, you know, what do we turn to next? And I asked people to make recommendations and we ended up doing Karuna Caton's book, uh, which was excellent. And then we did Tupton Jimpa's book, uh, Fearless Heart. And now we're doing uh, Matthew Ricard's Happiness. And I don't know what we'll do next, but it's kind of fun to see looking back wow we how we decide how I mean I really made the decision about the titles but I got lots of input from people and um and then you find you're reading a chapter together that so touches you you know right. like tomorrow we're doing one on hatred yeah. and in, in researching that you know I, I read the chapter of course and share that but that I in my Thursday programs I always share about a five to ten minute video from a teacher and I try to um, provide as wide a variety of teachers from I mean, I do a lot of Tibetan because I understand it best and I don't like to show things that I can't explain well. Right. Um, and I explain that, you know, I just, I would do more, but I don't have enough breadth of knowledge. But I also try to, you know, American teachers, Tibetan teachers, people from all over the world, so that people can see who clicks for them. Because as we know, some teachers really touch us and some feel just very academic or right. maybe they don't touch us. So that whole process of finding which teaching I want to show a video of, it's, it's, I watch, you know, 10 videos to find the right one. And in the process,
0: I'm taking it all in. Exactly. And so as which you if you told yourself, I'm going to do this for my own personal, you wouldn't do it, right? Exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly. We Maybe. do it to benefit others. Oh, but no, of course, right. we know from our practice, we have to benefit ourselves to benefit others. So it's a really, it's like sort of um, a little bit like when I set my watch forward by f- five minutes. That hope I'll get somewhere on time because I've tricked <laughs> myself into what
0: time it is. Oh well, those that trick gets old fast because then you know it's five minutes fast. So then you know I, got yeah, it. it's, true, it's true. It's <laughs> true. You're right. I'm reading, by the way, Fearless Heart. I'm reading that right now. I hadn't read it. Oh, I'm are reading you reading that right now? Oh, yeah. what a yeah. beautiful book! It's, it is. I love. Uh, listening to him and 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 hearing anything he does and and as we we talked about the uh, other stuff that's on and i i i want to circle back to this and i know this sounds disjointed but people are used to me now being like this um is is you talked about all the special stuff up on the plum village website there is a plum village app for people who don't know it's a wonderful app and i use that in my practice a lot do you it, what aspect of it do you use? There's a ton of guided meditations and, uh-huh. and, and they do, they do these wonderful chants that are almost like Christian hymns. It has the sound of a, of oh, a, yes. a Gregorian chant. Yeah. Um, do you know what I'm talking I about?
1: I do. I, I, am familiar with those. Yeah. They're beautiful. Well,
0: the heart Sutra one is one of my favorite, favorites i do and that do you
1: listen in english or to the
0: vietnamese or? no to to the english one uh-huh. and, I, and to and i forget the the gentleman's name that does the singing on the one that i'm in just in love with i do it every day at the end of my practice and i sing oh. with it although i don't my voice is not anywhere near his, but it helps me to chant along with it. And then I bang it out on my keyboard later, just to keep it in my head all the time. Cause the heart Sutra is like my home ground. I, uh-huh. I it's where I always tend to go. So that that's, that's beautiful. And they have a lot of guided meditations. Kyra jewel has quite a few on there. Um, so they're, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful songs and it's just, it's, it's a great app. So.
1: Oh, I'm going to recommend that. I I knew it existed, but I hadn't really explored it. So thank you for that.
0: I actually put it on the chat on Monday for your. Oh, good. I I don't know if anybody saw it, but I didn't, I don't think I provided the link. I just said, look for the app. I'll put it
1: up on my website too, as uh, under the resources.
0: Yeah. There's so much available. And many times I will listen to it uh, as I go to sleep in the at night.
1: Oh yeah, because
0: yeah, it's just so peaceful. Um, it's wonderful. Like I told when I had a podcast, I had the podcast with Kyra Duolingo, I said, uh, "Did you know that you sing me to sleep many times?" Oh, I heard <laughs> you say that. I thought that was
1: really sweet.
0: <laughs> so, so it's so true. Um, so, you know, we talked about you being busy and you too busy. Um, if, if, do you have much time, you know, because when you think about somebody who's a pastoral minister or a pastoral counselor, um, you don't, you, you, you don't necessarily think about all the programs they're administering, right? That's not the, thir- yeah. the first thing that comes to your head. First yeah. thing that comes to your head is that you're, counseling or being a spiritual friend to individuals or maybe small groups. And since you have all this administrative work, do you, do you have time to, or do you have a scheduled time or how do you, how do you minister the people who need you individually?
1: Um, I meet a lot one-on-one with people a lot. Uh So I, um, generally these days, we mostly meet over Zoom. I, So that's something I do. I, I spend a fair amount of time every week having one-on-one um, meetings with people. And I also have open, um, we call it tea and talk. We just started this, Reverend Audette and I, where we have an open Zoom room and people can pop in over the course of an hour and say hi. And uh, it, since it started, I'm not just started, I'm not quite sure how it will evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea was to just have casual conversation, not have it be a formal program and be able to discuss whatever people feel like they want to discuss and meet each other because our our congregation, the church itself is closed at the moment. So people can't really get together. Um, I, you know, I didn't mention this earlier when I talked about the job of director of pastoral ministries and how we created that job at All Souls, but I also, um, maybe a couple of years into being in that position created the Buddhism and mindfulness program. So that didn't there wasn't really um, any Buddhism, per se happening at All Souls before that, I uh, invited Pilar Jennings, who's a Union Theological Seminary professor and a psychotherapist and a a practitioner and teacher herself of Tibetan Buddhism, I invited her to come and start leading a monthly Sangha. And she graciously did so and with and developed quite a lot of um, uh, following, she's just very gifted and a wonderful human being. And in the process, got some momentum. And then I started teaching mindfulness. And then, you know, we had uh, Harry Miller, who is a very generous Chan practitioner and translator and scholar of Chan Buddhism, he teaches and he started a Dharma study group. So you know, all the pieces started coming together. And then when COVID happened, I started offering a lot more online, um, for obvious reasons. And people started coming out of nowhere. And and we really, you know, suddenly found ourselves with a much larger group of people interested. So the program part of it wasn't really part of the job initially. Um, (laughs) It was really meant to be more of the pastoral counseling. And I do also sometimes run groups like grief support, caregiver support. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm thinking of doing some other things. I have some more, less traditional um, ideas about how to do that. We're also, le- I co-lead with a, uh, one of our members and a ministerial intern, a group called Being Mortal. Um, so people can come and talk about death and end of life. And it's not, it's Buddhist informed because that's my point of view, but the other two are not Buddhist practitioners. So um, it's, it's really about end of life and death and an open place to discuss that. So, Actually,
0: I just sent. I don't. I mean, did it right up, but I don't want to. it no, I just sent that link on uh, being mortal to uh, um, a, a friend of mine. She became a friend. She reached out to me after the podcast, and we had a few counseling sessions. And she has a very serious disease, and um, that is could. Impact her mortality relatively soon, and she's oh, got a young dear. child, a younger child, and um, she she practices FPMT too. She took the foundations course. She's in the UK. Um, uh-huh. Um, but I sent her that link today over uh, Facebook Messenger, and she was thrilled because she's oh, uh, she was you. she was always asked. she always asks me about what does Zen say about death? What does she you know? Because she's exploring all that yeah, because of what she's yeah. facing and um, what her family is facing, and so she was thrilled at that. So you may be. I think we just sent somebody else to All Souls. From oh, the UK. wonderful.
1: I, well, please <laughs> feel, tell her to feel free to reach out to me personally and, you know, so we can make some connections so it feels more like, um, you know, she feels more more warmly invited to attend. I'll, I'd be glad. To I, de- talk I to definitely
0: her. will. She actually did say she might want to reach out to somebody and ask some questions. So
1: good. Please <laughs> tell her. I'd be glad to. And also, I'll just mention Wendy for anyone's sake who's listening that I'm taking a year long class right now through Spirit Rock called A Year to Live, and it's based on Stephen Levine's book A Year yeah. to Live, and uh, it's offered every year, but it just started in January. I I don't know if it's it's probably too late for anyone to join it this point because it's underway now, but um, there's a wait list for next year already, I think. So um, just wanted to recommend that. So far it's been very good.
0: Well, that's good and and it will help you too. Um, Yes. So, so you do do individual counseling and a lot of it from the sound of it, Um, you know, and you've been there 10 years. Is that what you said about 10 years? I've
1: been 10 years working. I was, I became a member or I joined All Souls as a congregant in 1995 so I've been around for a while
0: but, but not I in that role. not in
1: my role at all I mean I was back in my other career and I was also very much the person who sat in the back pew just went to the <laughs> Sunday worship service took a lot in from the experience of the service you know tried to recalibrate and went home but I didn't make any friends there really or you know I I was very much um, kind of going solo when I went to to the, the service on a Sunday. So I, as I often tell people, watch out because you think you're in the back pew and you think you're all quiet and everything. And next thing you know, you're in the chancel.
0: <laughs> well, actually I, I've always said, I, I say to my friends and family is like, I always want to find a church where I can sit in the back pew because I'm always taking a more leadership role in all the Buddhist communities. Yeah. So it would be nice to just like disappear into the pew or something like that. Doesn't um, always work though. <laughs> and no, it doesn't. And, and it's, it's you have to sit on your hand and put your hand over your mouth and not volunteer about, for anything. Um, so um, one of the things I've been thinking about is if you've been there 10 years in, a, in your role, okay, um, I'm sure that the, the subject matter of what people have come to you about in need of has changed over the years. Now, obviously, since the pandemic, Whoa. Yeah. Right. But, um, and, and we'll get to that, but, and, you know, this, I'm not asking about like, you know, individual, you know, issues, but what do you think the main concern is for people from a spiritual perspective, especially from a UU point of view, which is different than um, then maybe, uh, theistic, uh, pastoral counseling, maybe, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. Um, uh, so, so what do you, and I don't know, I'm sure you haven't tallied it all up. And so I'm asking a question that you may not have an answer for, but give me the best shot
1: i think well because i'm trained as a chaplain you know and chaplains are by definition interfaith so a lot of the work i've done in pastoring people has been in the hospital in my clinical units as a chaplain um i'm i can make a little bit of a distinction between unitarian universalist um pastoral work and doing it in the hospital where you know you Whoever's in the room is what what you work with, whether they're right. Baptist or Jewish or uh, Muslim or whatever they may be. Um, and I would say that it's about connection. You know, it's it's that's so often what it's about. Whether it's connection, you know, with parents who um, have with whom someone has a difficult relationship and has since they were a child, or it's about connection with friends. It's amazing how many people come to me and say I really need to talk about a relationship with a friend that's failing and I'm just destroyed by it because we've been friends for a long time and I I don't know how to navigate it I feel like we're separating as fr- our friendship is you know going two separate ways and I'm heartbroken over it and so there's it's or it's about you know of course families breaking up um, you know partnerships or spouses breaking up it of course often about loss but it's it's so much I would say I've never been asked this before but i would say in my work at all souls it's the main theme is connection or disconnection um yeah feeling like either not necessarily but possibly isolated or just working on a particular relationship that's really important to them and trying to make some peace with it um and trying to figure out what to do that's Ethical but also protects themselves and you know honors the history and yet you know if they're being treated in a way that they don't find acceptable. Respecting that so there's a lot of navigation about that, and um, I think that's probably whereas in the hospital, you know when I now chaplains will at least in the hospitals in which I worked I walked into every single room so. Um, you know, sometimes I, very rarely people said, no, thank you, go away. I mean that happened maybe five times in, you know, thousands of people that I've seen. but um, but some people, you know, they may be theistic or they may not be. in those among those who have any kind of faith affiliation, um, often the conversations are about what's happening between them and God, and right. that isn't as common, although there are many theists among Unitarian Universalists, some are theistics, some are agnostics, some are not, you know, are not, would call Absolutely. them non-theists. Uh, there aren't as many conversations about the relationship with God, and uh, although most people are very amenable to um, to my offering a prayer, whether or not, you know, whatever the prayer may be to Spirit of Life, whatever it may be.
0: Yeah. And I bet you, you know, um, this kind of leads to the second question and it, it, it's very related to connection too, I think is um, so this probably just um, multiplies the number of <laughs> people, a number of times people come to you about connection is how do you help people? And man, I know this is a bad question to ask because
1: Go for it. Let me see if I can take it. <laughs>
0: um, you'll probably yell at me when we're done recording, but how may, how do you help people navigate the uncertainty of our times? You know, the, the pandemic, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the, uh, I call it the dystopian novel in which we live, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. p- pandemic, the climate change and, separation of so many times is what i'm dealing with with people is separation of friends and family yeah due to political and social oh yeah problems that have arisen in since the pandemic since the political atmosphere before the pandemic i mean you know sometimes it's it it seems to me when i'm talking to people you know i always one of my go-tos is just, you know, impermanence, you know, yep. it's all going to change anyway. And it's just yep. changing shape, changing form, changing nature. There is no, as no beginning, there's no end, you know, there's yep. no beginning of anger. There's no end of anger. And, and, um, it, which is pretty hard if someone doesn't have a real Buddhist perspective to it understand. Is hard. Yeah. But, um, but people do understand impermanence because it's part of life. They, they may run from it, but they understand it. And, and, but that's about the only thing I've ever come up with in, in answering those questions about all the stuff that's happening right now is like in my book, I wrote the wonderful thing about impermanence is, is that, you know crappy things will stop and good things will happen and that's about yeah. it. <laughs> right but that's you know i don't have anything else how do you answer all those questions
1: well you know i asked i mentioned a teacher uh who taught who i took the discovering buddhism class with at chanti deva center his name is gus kutz and i asked him that question at the very beginning of the pandemic because he ran a program just to sort of help us along in the very beginning and I loved his answer. He said, so I think of the beginning of the pandemic as March 13th. That was the day that we shut down All Souls. And, you know, so that's just the date that's fixed in my head. And I'll use that for the sake of making the point. And he said, and he was using the same date. He said, so on March 12th, you thought that on March 13th, you would be going about your business. You knew that there was this thing called COVID and you knew it was creeping up on us, but you thought you'd, Look at your calendar and see what you had to do that day and you would go about your business and do it and then everything shut down precipitously and so the uncertainty was there on march 12th you just weren't paying attention to it right and suddenly you know boom you're triggered by, well it's it all becomes reality the next day and we can say this about virtually anything that has majorly changed our lives whether we look at september 11th and how were we that morning at eight o'clock in the morning before the planes hit it was a beautiful day in new york city and we can say that about a diagnosis we can say that about anything so that really stuck for me about these teachings about uncertainty and impermanence that we have this delusion and you and i know because we talk with people a lot about how people accept impermanence intellectually, but putting it into a practice or a realization, as we say in my tradition, is a whole different story. And so that's why we have to meditate on it and use opportunities like this to really say, uncertainty is there in the next moment all the time, the causes and conditions that come together to cause the next moment. Like you and I could be disconnected from Zoom like that because your internet connection goes down or mine does or- Which
0: is very likely to happen
1: actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's on the higher- uh, higher likelihood, right? <laughs> but I think that really helped me, and that that was, um, and I share that story a lot with people because they remember. Um, uh, they did. I don't know. We're getting pretty far down the pandemic, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, duration by now. But they remember feeling like, well, what's that weird COVID thing? And then suddenly, you know, everything's shutting down and how weird it was for all of us. But these things can happen. All kinds of things can happen. So it's also the whole, you know, um, dependent co-rising and, and of course, emptiness and all these other things. I know we don't want to get into the details of that maybe, but I, it's, um it's something I do talk to people a lot and try to remind them if it's someone i know and i've spoken with in a pastoral capacity for a number of years or even months i'll try to remind them of stories they've shared with me about other times in their lives where they've been in a really um a similar time of uncertainty or or difficult news if i don't know them that well i'll ask them you know because we all have that in us we all have that awareness that things right. can turn at any moment we just have to make it more top of mind. And I'll just mention one other thing, because I happened yesterday to be listening to a teacher uh, to listening to a teaching with Lama Rod Owens, who wrote the book Love and Rage, yeah. and is a wonderful I teacher. love
0: he Lama wrote, Rod. Yeah, yeah,
1: he's great. And he was saying, as you may know, when he did a three year silent retreat, and right. he's you know, really done his practice, He's really developed his practice. And has good reason to have had a lot of work to do, given some of the challenges he's faced.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: And he talked about he said, you know, now I don't really, you know, I, I don't really think about how I don't take stuff for granted anymore. I don't expect tomorrow, not to hear something about my health or the health of people I love, or I don't expect to walk out of, uh, I forget exactly what he said, but something like you know, walk out of my home and see my car there, it may not be there, you know, maybe someone took it. And he said, he's developed his practice to the point where he is aware, very aware, top of mind aware of all these things that might not be the way he expects them to be. And I thought, oh, beautiful, you know, I mean, that's the work. That's where the work can take us.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's, that's so true. It's like, well, it's 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 the it's the first of the eightfold path. Right. Understanding it's it's yeah. the it's the, it's the it's the three marks of existence. It, you know, it's like and I and I always say to people, you know, it's like and, and, I, and, and I'm still seeing it and, it and it frustrates me and it shouldn't frustrate me because but even after all these, we're like, we're entering in our third calendar year of the pandemic and people are still talking as if uncertainty doesn't exist as if you know in in their complaining voices you know when is we are when are we going to get back to normal when why is this happening and you know all angry and like it's someone else's fault and yeah, you do yeah. you know what i mean it's like so much suffering it, in it is, that it, mindset right it, it isn't but yet it is you know And maybe it's not prevailing and maybe just seems prevailing if you're like looking out there, but it seems like the prevailing attitude to me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, sometimes I just want to take like a bucket of like Dharma paint and just pour (laughs) it over everybody. And now you understand that everything always was uncertain. You just faked yourself into believing it wasn't. It's so true. It's so it's so hard to I mean
1: even for me I I have so, so much I take for granted and I catch myself, you know, if if for example there's no hot water in the morning. Oh, yeah. I feel inc- <laughs> you know entitled to my hot water, right? How oh,
0: dare it. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I live in a place that uh we have power failures pretty much consistently, a lot. Uh well, we live in a very treed area and oh, we get yeah. we're in a what they call it a wind tunnel. It's downwinds of two lakes and Georgian Bay, both Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. And so we get, uh, hurricane force winds wow a lot like 85 miles an hour that knocks down all the poles and um and we we live in a treed neighborhood so we're we don't have power a lot i mean not a lot but you know it's it's quite frequently i mean and i hear my neighbors you know they complain about it all the time. It's like, it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, move away. I mean, this is, this is how it is here. And and it's like, but yet I will, I'll, that's the same way. It's like, I'm like, oh no, not a It's It's
1: such a good opportunity for practice, though, right? That can be your activator.
0: It could be, but I always find myself muttering and (laughs) interesting, yeah, rather than practicing. You know, you could you could just meditate in the dark, but instead, I'm just thinking, I'm cursing the dark, right? (laughs) But you know, losing power
1: is a big deal. I mean, that's it's not easy to tolerate that, and but it reminds me of. Um, a friend of mine is, is ordained in the Triratna tradition. Her name is Upayati and she's a great mentor to me. And she, um, during the pandemic, I lived near the hospital. And so the siren, the increase in sirens was quite noticeable. So, you know, already we hear a lot of sirens here, but it was, I don't know, double, it seemed like many more. And of course my sensitivity was higher because of of COVID. And, um, and she said to me, I use the sirens as a mindfulness bell. Wow. And that Completely <laughs> switched my mind. I was able, I thought I found that so brilliant and so helpful that I was able to turn my mind, train my mind to hear the sirens as a mindfulness bell and it made all the difference. So, you know, sometimes our, the other training can feed into tolerating certain things. Yeah, it,
0: it definitely can. So with that Excellent piece of advice of mindfulness spells, which you can use anything as a mindfulness. Spell. Yeah, I, I, for those of you who live in Manhattan, obviously sirens are it. We, we don't, but you know, crashing trees could be hit here. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that could be it. But you know, everybody's got something that they could use. That's a negative that could be turned into a mindfulness spell or a positive. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just. And it, it is about allowing your mind to be flexible and open, which is not always easy to do, for sure. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not always. So. Pamela, thank you for joining me on this podcast and this wonderful conversation, which just felt like it flew by. And I know it didn't, but I don't want to. It keep felt you like that like- to me too, Wendy. <laughs> it's such a pleasure
1: to talk to you. And I, you know, I'll, I'd love, I love our conversations and hope we'll continue even if we're not doing them for a podcast.
0: Oh, I would love that as well. So thank you again for joining us and uh, we'll, you'll be back for sure. You'll be back.
1: Wonderful. And I hope you'll come to one of my programs and and, um, offer us some teachings.
0: I definitely will. Thank you. A quick correction here um, before I close out the show. Um, Earlier in the conversation with Pamela, I was talking about Um, we were talking about visualization, and I was talking about a practice I did with my um, Tibetan Sangha, um, and I referred to it as Vajrayana, which is the style of practice of Tibetan Buddhism where you do visualization, but the actual specific practice I was trying to refer to, which I kept mislabeling um, as Vajrayana, it was Vajrasattva that was the uh, deity or Bodhisattva that we were visualizing and practicing. So um, had to make that correction because I didn't want people to get confused. So um, bear with me. It happens sometimes. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Um... As you could hear, Pamela and I could probably talk forever and ever. I hope you uh, felt like uh, an engaged participant of the conversation, even though you couldn't talk with us. Um, Don't forget that you can join me and others in the private, donation-supported Everyday Sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The Sangha is just finishing a study, or we just finished a study this past Saturday, uh, on, on practice of the 37 practices of bodhisattvas, and we're about to begin a new practice. We are still discussing what we'd like to focus on, but if you'd like to join the Sangha at the start of a new practice Now would be a good time, and please consider supporting the efforts of this podcast and related groups by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to blogs, members-only podcasts, an education series, a multiple education series, a private Facebook group, and our new Introduction to Buddhism class. Um, which is more than halfway through its first run, but look for it to start again tentatively at the beginning of June. The class is free to members of the Everyday Buddhism community and the Everyday Sangha. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any of those social media platforms, um, go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community if you're not already a member of the community or of the Everyday Sangha. You can go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on the tab that says Join Community or Sangha. And you can join the Sangha there too, not just the membership community. I can't stress enough how thankful I am to those of you who donate or join our groups, since I do not seek podcast sponsors and do not ask for membership financial commitments to the sangha or membership community, my work and the cost of the infrastructure needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded except for your donations. Also, a few other notes I've been forgetting to mention are, number one, I wanna thank those of you who write in with comments and questions. I do read everything, but I can't always respond. I am, however, thinking about doing a podcast episode soon, focusing on a couple of listener questions about the complexity of love relationships. And number two, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. And if you could, please take a moment to review or comment and not just put a rating on it, okay? And the third and last, I promise, if you like this podcast and aren't already aware of it, I wrote a book in the same everyday style called Everyday Buddhism, Real-Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. Look for it on Amazon. And if you've read it already, or when you're done reading it, please take a minute again to rate and review. That's all for the announcements, and that's all for this episode. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better.